You're listening to Shortwave from NPR. Okay, confession time. I love thunderstorms. The sounds, the flashes of light, the ground rumbling. I love all of this when I'm indoors. But when I'm outside in the rain and seeing lightning coming my way, I, a full-grown adult, become terrified and run into the nearest building. I've been that way ever since I can remember. And Aurelien Roy, a physicist at École Polytechnique near Paris, says he was the same as a kid. I think like many kids, I was uh, at the same time scared and fascinated by the lightning and thunder, by uh, the big flash of light that you see and... Uh, waiting for the sound to, to know uh, if it's far or if it's close. My, my dog was always uh, frightened by, by the lightning and uh, shaking like this. And lightning doesn't just scare dogs and kids. It has real-world consequences outside of raising our heartbeats. Storms delay flights, lightning strike buildings and wind farms. People get struck by lightning every year. Between 2006 and 2021, 444 people in the United States died from a lightning strike. Aurelion and his multinational team are on a mission to draw lightning away from planes, people, and other precious objects. And it turns out, despite a brief flirtation with rockets, scientists' starting point is technology that's over 250 years old. What we have uh, for the moment as a solution to, to redirect or to, to protect uh, from lightning is uh, the, the lightning rod invented by uh, Benjamin Franklin uh, a few centuries ago. And actually, this is the, the only method that is known to be efficient to protect uh, against lightning. But uh, it's most of the time limited to uh, a few meter height. Basically, the big technology we have to defend ourselves against lightning is a big metal rod that, when placed on top of a three-story building, covers about a 10-meter radius, or roughly 33 feet. The range of action of this lightning rod is relatively limited because uh, it corresponds roughly to the height of the lightning rod. And there's only so high up you can reasonably build a lightning rod. Today, nobody is uh, using a, a kilometer size lightning rod because uh, it's too complicated to generate, to produce, and to install. Plus, these days, we have huge buildings. I mean, this method can't even protect an airport. And past or present, there's large swaths of land that are unprotected. It's a problem in need of a 21st century update. Today on the show, lightning. How it works, why rockets are not the answer, and how high-powered lasers could be the key to protect the world from dangerous lightning strikes. I'm Regina Barber, and you're listening to Shortwave, the daily science podcast from NPR. To solve the problem of how to redirect lightning, researchers first need to understand what lightning is. The easiest way to think about this is if you've ever scooted across a carpet with fuzzy socks on, and then you shock yourself on a doorknob, or purposely shock your sibling. There's a little spark of static electricity. And basically, one of two things is happening here. Either you're accumulating electrons, those negatively charged subatomic particles, on yourself, or electrons are being ripped from you, making a part of your body a supercharged thing, where before you were more or less neutral, no big charge imbalance. In either case, your body wants to be balanced again. So that imbalance of electrons results in these subatomic particles literally jumping off your body or to your body from somewhere else. 
that is mini lightning you see as you shock yourself. As for what that means for lightning out in the world, that's what's happening to the clouds in the sky. Water and hot air currents move those electrons around. Lightning happens when, uh, when you have formation of uh, huge clouds in the, in the sky with a charge inside the clouds. And actually, the charge appears in the clouds when you have a big uh, movement of particles of water in the sky. And because some space are hotter and some are colder in the skies, you have some air that goes up and some air that goes down. And it, it makes friction. And it's like when you, when you touch um, a, a sweat, no, the wool. Um, yeah, the sweater, the wool sweater. When you touch it very fast, you can make electricity. The clouds become charged, and electrons either want to travel to the ground or connect with a positively charged cloud. That's lightning. And while it's very unlikely that lightning will hit a person, every year it damages trees, buildings, and delays many flights. So what's used now to redirect lightning away from buildings is a lightning rod. It's a pointy piece of metal that acts as a conductor, letting electricity flow through it. And it's connected to the earth, or grounded. Since the rod is grounded, it can attract lightning and siphon off excess charge from the clouds, reducing the likelihood of lightning. Aurelion says that there's technically another method that successfully redirects lightning. Rockets. In the end of the 20th century, the fact to use uh, rockets with an uh, electric uh, wire attached to the rocket. So if you send a rocket with a very long wire be- behind the rocket, 100 meters or even more, the, the rocket with the wire will, uh, will start to be charged in the presence of the, of the electric field created by the, the lightning cloud. And it will induce a lightning and guide it uh, along the the wire. Uh, So you can have a guiding of the lightning like this. But this rocket approach has a lot of downsides. It requires a very precise uh, timing to shoot the rocket. And also it can only work one time. So it was never really considered as a protection for lightning because uh, it's too expensive. It's waste and it can fall. uh, You don't exactly know where. And you have to retrieve uh, what what remains of the rocket. But this is basically what what we want to do with the laser, but with something that doesn't fall down and that you can use uh, continuously when you need it. So, okay, lightning rods cover too small an area, rockets are impractical, enter those high-powered lasers. In 2021, Aurelion and his team successfully used a laser to redirect lightning for the first time ever. This is how it works. The laser shoots a beam into the air, and it forces molecules in the air to undergo ionization. In every molecule uh, in, in air, so you have uh, nitrogen and oxygen. You have some electrons uh, around the molecule. And if you send energy on, on this molecule, uh, you can detach uh, some of these electrons outside. And uh, then the electron uh, can go everywhere. They used a laser that pulses a thousand times a second, which basically creates a column of air with all these free electrons, turning it into a giant lightning rod. This experiment was done on a remote Swiss mountain, where a telecommunications tower is struck roughly a hundred times a year. So on the Swiss mountain, um, uh, the difficulty of this uh, station was uh, that it's not accessible by road, so you need to use a gondola to go there or to use a, an helicopter. And uh, so we use the gondola for most of the equipment, but for that we had to design a laser that would be able to be split in small parts to fit in the gondola. 
It took four months to install everything. So we had to separate the laser in several parts, to put it in the gondola, and to make the laser uh, in one part again uh, on top of the mountain. It was an exciting moment, because this laser, it's a fulfillment of a decades-old idea. But a successful test wasn't possible until recently due to a number of things. First, the lasers had to get more powerful. We choose a laser technology that is able to, to shoot 1,000 laser pulse per second. So it's a, it's a big increase compared to all the experiments that were done before because they were only shooting one shot per second or 10 shots per second. So we have much more chance to catch the lightning when it's uh, developing and to guide it during uh, its propagation. Second, it turns out it's really hard to predict where lightning is going to be to test these lasers. Aurelion's team found a solution for that, too. We choose the place where the lightning happens often, every year, about uh, 80 or 1,000 times uh, every year. And more important, all the time, the lightning is hitting uh, the big tower that is installed on top of this mountain called uh, Mount Sentis. So we can be sure that for all this lightning event, we, we know where the lightning will go. Even if you go in a country that, uh, that records uh, thousands of lightning every year, this lightning can, can, can be one kilometer or two kilometers away from the position where you are. But the challenges don't stop at laser power and lightning prediction. There's also the disruptive temperature changes and the many ways the field site is impacted by all the terrible weather associated with lightning. You have a very strong wind during the lightning storm, uh, up to hundreds of kilometers, along a lot of rain also. And also you can have uh, electricity shut down during the lightning. So we had to, to face all this uh, difficulty during the experiment, and it took us uh, also one month to make the laser continue to work. And because they had to be at the station when the lightning storm was happening, they had to sleep on the mountain right next to the tower. So at the beginning, we were trusting that the weather forecast could tell us precisely when the lightning will come. But after a few weeks, we realized that the forecasts were not very precise <laughs> and that uh, the weather was changing very fast. So um, after this, we decided to stay all the time on the mountain and to sleep on the mountain. So every morning we had to start the laser. We have to estimate if there is a chance of lightning, then to call for the airport to say we will use the air corridor, so please uh, be ready oh. to, to stop the air traffic. And then uh, we have to mm -hmm. confirm uh, one hour before shooting to stop the air traffic, and we can start uh, to shoot the laser. In the study, the laser was able to protect a whopping 180-meter radius, which is why Aurelion thinks lasers have a lot of promise, and he hopes to one day extend the laser way higher, hundreds of meters in the sky to protect an even wider radius. But that will require more data and probably more mountaintop lasers in more places around the globe. It's a feat that will take careful planning and probably years to accomplish. In the meantime, I'll be happy looking at lightning, knowing that my irrational fears are one step closer to being put to rest. Thanks to science. If you have a science question, send us an email at shortwave at npr.org. Today's episode was produced by Liz Metzger and Burley McCoy. Edited by our supervising producer, Rebecca Ramirez, and fact-checked by Anil Oza. The audio engineer was Gilly Moon. 
Brendan Crump is our podcast coordinator. Our senior director of programming is Beth Donovan. And the senior vice president of programming is Anya Grunman. I'm Regina Barber. Thanks for listening to Shortwave, the daily science podcast from NPR. Thank you.